Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Sorry for no episode these past three days. Um, missing three days once again, that's unacceptable in my book. Uh, but to be fair, I've had a busy summer. I've been trying to get on the air for you guys. And I made these uh, podcasts longer for you guys, to be fair. But still, uh, I'll try and I'm trying, trying to be a little more consistent with the schedule. But anyway, in today's episode, we're going to be discussing Tom Brady's contract extension. I haven't really talked about that yet. We're going to be uh, getting into some Patriots training camp. Then we're going to talk about the Team USA basketball roster, what's going on with that, why are so many people dropping out. Then we are going to get to some Red Sox, and then we're going to end the episode off with um, last episode's results on Friendly Wagers. No Colin today, so we won't be playing Friendly Wagers, but you'll hear the results from last episode. So first, we are going to get to Tom Brady's contract, so let's get to that. Okay, so these past few days, I haven't been on the air, obviously, and the Tom Brady contract extension talks are have been a discussion, and they still are. Two days ago, Adam Schefter reported the first report. I'm going to go, these, you got three reports I'm about to tell you. Here's the first one by Adam Schefter. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady is signing a two-year extension that will pay him $23 million this year per source. It makes him the sixth highest paid quarterback in the league. So Adam Schefter reported this two-year extension. He didn't report any of the details. The details later came out. Um, that it would be, I believe, 70 mil over those that two-year uh, point. I believe that was the number. And I just think a lot of people are, like, relieved. Like, okay, Tom Brady has an extension for the next two years. He's at least under contract for the next three years. And most people are like, good, him and the Patriots came to terms. But then, short, ter- uh, short time after, Ian Rappaport, a.k.a. Rap Sheet, reported, the Patriots and quarterback Tom Brady are in agreement on a two-year deal worth $70 million, sources said, through 2021. He gets $23 million this year, which I already said, then $30 million and $32 million in the following years, though both sides are amendable to adjusting if the situation's warrants. It's essentially a year-to-year deal. So I kind of sit there saying, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So then yesterday, it was all kind of the same timeline. Rappaport reports, sources, Patriots and quarterback Tom Brady's new deal includes a provision that does not allow New England to franchise or transition tag him for the 2020 season. The final two years automatically void on the last day of the 2019 league year, but he cannot be tagged. Brady will become a free agent. So is this an extension? What do you count this as an extension or not? I I believe Breeze. This happened to Drew Breeze a few years ago. It was five year deal, but it was really a two year deal. Then the last three years were all year to year. They were kind of voided essentially. And from what I've heard, I don't know really much about it because I do remember the Drew Breeze situation. I don't really understand it. No one really does. But apparently, it's going to free up cap space in the short term. So I am a bit confused. Because you're saying it's a quote-unquote extension, but 
he's technically going to become a free agent at the end of the year. He cannot, um, he cannot be franchise tagged either, which I think is just a little thing that Brady doesn't want. I think obviously New England probably wouldn't franchise tag him, but they'd like to have that option if worst comes to worst uh, at the end of the 2019 season. But I think that's something Brady says, no, I want to be locked in long-term. He's 42 years old. He wants the security. Do you blame him? That is something on Brady's part that he said, no, I don't want to be franchise tagged. Yes, I'd get a lot of money. Obviously, Brady wants more than $23 million a year, and he wants to be locked in on a longer-term deal. He's 42 years old. He's taken pay cuts in the past. It was like Danny Danny Amendola, okay, last offseason. He sat there and said, you know what, New England, I've done a lot of winning here, and I know I'm getting older, and I know I might not be worth, what was it, $11 million over two years. You know, maybe that's asking for just a bit too much. I don't think it was anything absurd at the time. But you know what, I've done my winning here. I think it's time to get paid. I think that's what Brady's saying here. You know, I've done my winning, and I'm going to keep trying, going after that ring. But... I think it's time for you guys to pay me. Kind of pay me for the pay cuts I've taken in the past. And that's not going to fly with Bill Belichick. That's with the wrong guy now. So Brady's sitting here saying, I want, you know, $30 million a year. And Bill Belichick's sitting here saying, in 2020, like like this season? Because we all know Belichick isn't a guy that's going to pay you for the past. Okay, he that's just not going to fly with Bill Belichick. So he's sitting there saying, I want to take this year to year. I don't want to pay you $30 million when you may be, a, you know, more like a guy. By 2020, you could be a guy that's throwing 20 touchdown passes and 12 interceptions. So something around that. That could be your stat line. You could be a game manager by then and still solid down the stretch. But mostly just a game manager until we really need you. Is that what it's going to be? Like, I don't want to pay you $30 million for that. Bill Belichick wants to take this year to year. Tom Brady wants to get paid a little extra for taking those pay cuts in the past, and he wants to be secured on a longer-term deal, at least, you know, two or three years of security because he's 42 years old. The two are buttonheads right now, and it's mostly Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. You know Robert Kraft will step in if he has to on Brady's behalf. We all know Robert Kraft has a soft spot for Tom Brady. That's simple. We all know that, and it doesn't take a monkey to figure that out. But my question is, I I don't think, this isn't the question, but isn't it pretty obvious Tom Brady's not happy with the situation? My question is, Will the two sides end up agreeing on a deal? Now, we always can sit here and say, the Patriots, Tom Brady, they always figure it out. We always hear these news like, oh, oh, you know, there's a little tension between the sides, and it always ends up getting worked out. And I sure hope that's how it works out. And I think with Robert Kraft at the owner, he's the one that kind of separates the two and says, all right, all right, let's calm down here, and he works things out, mostly on Brady's behalf. Look what happened with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um you know, that, that's just the, the prime example there. But I, I just kind of sit here and say, what what's going to happen now? Okay. Are the two going to keep butting heads? And if I'm Tom Brady now, here's the thing. I'm not playing a preseason snap. Okay. And now I'll play in training camp. Obviously. It's not a great, you know, quarterbacks don't usually get hurt in training camp. But if I'm Tom Brady, I'm not. No way. 
am I going out to play a preseason game? Because if I'm Tom Brady, I'm sitting there to myself and saying, yes, he technically has this contract now. But if I'm Tom Brady, I'm sitting there and saying I'm 42 years old. Okay. I, do, I don't need the preseason reps in the first place. I'm no I'm not a young quarterback still developing. No. I'm, I, if anything, I need the time off, right? To keep my body in shape. And I feel like Brady's someone who's done a great job with that anyway. But still, I'm 42 years old and I'm not I don't really have a contract. You know? That's the thing. I'm already hesitant to take really more than a few drives worth of preseason, you know, of preseason football from a guy like Tom Brady or Drew Brees or maybe Aaron Rodgers who are up there in age. You know, they don't most, you know, they need the rest more. They don't need these reps really. You know, maybe you want to get them in there for a drive or two at least throughout the preseason or at least a half in the preseason just to give them a little chemistry in what's, you know, somewhat in-game. You know, I consider that in-game. That's as close as it's going to get before the NFL regular season. That So you want to get a little chemistry, you know, with the offense. But other than that, I you know, he doesn't really need the reps. So if I'm Tom Brady, I'm sitting there, no, I don't want to get, you know, risk getting hurt. And then, you know, that blows any chance of really getting that contract. Uh, you know, maybe with Robert Kraft, who knows, but... I mean, this this is really weird. It is. This has been just a weird situation because I was happy to hear, yep, besides, you know, we agreed to this contract. I told you everything's going to work out fine. Now that I hear this, I'm, like, skeptical. So I'm sitting here. I feel like this is the Patriots' way of saying we don't want to give Tom this long-term deal, but we want to make him and the fans at least somewhat satisfied. We gave you the extension. Is it ex- is it what you were looking for? Not really, but... You know, you have something there. You know, we gave you that. You won't be franchise tagged. And you got somewhat of an extension. So I guess that's to kind of sit there and give Tom Brady something to be happy about, I guess. And same thing with the fans. Something to be happy about. To kind of cover up, you know, what may be more tension than we really think. And now uh, he kind of goes back to Tom Brady, just turned 42 August 3rd. Will he really play till he's 45? Because we all know Tom Brady's on the decline. He was great last season, no doubt about it. Was he MVP caliber? No. But he was still very good, led your team to a Super Bowl. But when I look at Tom Brady, I see a guy who's on the decline. I see a guy who is kind of turning into a system quarterback and whether, you know, you like it or not, I'm as big of a Tom Brady fan as they come. Favorite athlete of all time. But it it hurts to say, but Tom Brady is kind of turning into a system quarterback and I feel like the system's kind of covering that up. I I, I hate to say it, but I, I think that's the case. Am I saying Tom Brady's a bad quarterback? No. Am I saying Tom Brady is a complete system quarterback? No, not that at all. But I do think the system is starting to cover up some of the regression. And we've seen some regression, but I think it would be a little worse if it weren't for the system that he's playing in. But I don't think he's going to play till he's 45 at this point. Now, we all want those three more seasons of Tom Brady. And some of us will sit here and say, he's... Given you six Super Bowls, how much can you ask more? And then, you know, we're just greedy New England fans saying 
he said he's going to play to a 45. At least, you know, give us till he's, you know, 44. At least get us to that point. But since we're just so greedy here in New England, no, we want more. Just kind of like Brady. It's on to the next one. Same thing here in New England. In Boston, whatever you want to say. We're as greedy as they get up here. And Tom Brady has kind of set that expectation that he's going to play till he's 45. So that's the expectation. You're going to play till you're 45 at a high level. I hope Tom Brady's the quarterback for the New England Patriots for the next three seasons. That would be great. Yeah, three seasons. If, if the next three seasons, Tom Brady is our quarterback and he's playing at least a, at a top eight, top ten quarterback level, I'm happy. If he's a top ten quarterback by the time he's 45, entering that last season, I'll be happy. I'd be definitely very happy. And he's definitely going to be worse at that point because right now I think he's a top five quarterback. Some would argue top six at least. Yeah. Just outside the top five, which I disagree with, but I guess you can put up an argument for it. But we'll see what happens with this Tom Brady contract. I mean, it is definitely odd what's going on. He's obviously said he's becoming more of a family man now. And I think now that there's tension, there's more tension between him and the front office and Bill Belichick. He's getting older. He's starting to decline. Now, the thing with Tom Brady is he loves the game, though. So, you know, here's the flip side of it. He said he wants to play till 45. And although some comments have made us think maybe it'll be shorter than 45, he still loves the game of football. And think about his brand, TB12. I think that plays a big part of it because if he steps away from the game after this season and doesn't have a very good year, I don't want to say that hurts his brand because the way he played, like if you can play the way he played last year at 41, that's very impressive. And the fact that he's even still playing at 42 is impressive in itself. But if all of a sudden this season he has an average year and some are saying he's falling off a cliff and then he retires, does that hurt his brand? Because to me, you know, people look at it and say, Yes, because he might have set the expectation you know, the bar too high, but it's kind of like the Knicks offseason here, flipping over to basketball. It's kind of like the Knicks offseason because the Knicks offseason overall was not great, but it wasn't horrible. They got Julius Randle, they drafted R.J. Barrett, and they got other guys like uh, Alfred Payton, you know, just a nice little young point guard there. They got Taj Gibson, uh, just to name a few guys, Marcus Morris, just to name a few. and But the reason that it looked so bad was because the expectation was we traded Kristaps Porzingis in hopes to get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and our expectation was to get the number one, the number one pick and get land Zion Williams. Getting Julius Randle and RJ Barrett isn't that bad, but when your expectation was KD, Kyrie, and Zion Williamson, that does not look that great. So I think that's kind of the same thing here with Tom Brady. Play except a little different because 42 is a little more impressive, him playing at this level at 42 than drafting RJ. Yeah, you get the point. But Tom Brady, um, playing till he's 42 in itself is very impressive, but people are going to see... The bar was set to play at 45. So if all of a sudden we sit here and say, yes, I mean, here's the thing with the Knicks. Their offseason wasn't impressive. 
But you get the point. That's a that's a good analogy. It's as close as it gets. But playing till 42 is very impressive. But the expectation was 45. So that's that's the problem with it. Uh, that's that's kind of where it kind of would hurt him a bit. I don't think he's going to retire after this year, year. But I think the chances are slim, honestly, of it happening, to be honest with you. But I feel like with the recent tensions, we can't count it out. Do I doubt it will happen? Certainly. But again, I'm a guy who always keeps the door cracked open, and I feel like with the latest tensions, at least I think the chances that he plays till 45 are a bit slimmer. Then again, I mean, his contract's set up for him to play till he's 45, going on to 46. So that's how the contract's set up. So you, you don't know, but then again, you know, that's kind of a year-to-year more contract extension. So yeah, you guys can call in on your thoughts on the Anchor mobile app or through Safari. Uh, by typing in after the Buzzer Sports, Sports Talk by Aiden Mayer on Anchor. Anything you want to talk about, uh, including this Brady contract extension. Again, anything's on the table. So now we are going to get to some Patriots training camp. So let's get to that. Okay, so a few episodes ago, maybe about a week ago, I said I want to touch up on Patriots training camp because I haven't talked about it much. And the preseason's right around the corner. So I really want to, you know, touch up on how this is you know, mostly the whole training camp and a lot of the news we heard today. Kind of, you know, really the, the latest news on how the team's doing. So today, I'll just throw this out there. Uh, Patrick Chung returned. Uh, Ken Webster, Nate Ebner, Yadni Kajust, Kajust, whatever you want to say. I do love that pick, by the way. Uh, Cameron Meredith, who we just signed. And Lance Kendricks were all absent from practice today. Julian Edelman, Demarius Thomas, and Rex Burkhead were present but did not participate. And Kyle Van Noy and Isaiah Wynn were present but limited. Uh, so that was what I heard. And also, Nikhil Harry uh, left the practice with a hamstring injury. Um but I just want to start things off with the offense. So, so far throughout training camp, obviously right now we're in the middle of a joint practice, three-day joint practice with the Lions that started yesterday on Monday. Today was Tuesday and then Wednesday will be the last of the three days of joint practice with the Lions before the team square off on Thursday for preseason football, which I am a little excited about. I'm not sure I'll be able to watch it. But I'm a little bit excited for preseason football, just for football to kind of get started. Uh, These past two weeks have really been like the refresher. Like, football is starting these past two, three weeks. Like, when I do the quarterback rankings, that was really like the wake-up call. Like, it's starting. It's really, it's starting. It's starting. Late July. That last week or so of July. And I've started fantasy football. Like, fantasy football, we're going to talk about it on the podcast in case you didn't know. But anyway, offensively, this team has struggled from what I've heard. Uh, Tom Brady has been all right. He hasn't been his sharpest, though. Um, From what I've heard, he threw an interception today on on 7-on-7s. He got benched for three plays the other day in Patriots camp. So far, he's he's been eh. in. You haven't heard too much on Brian Hoyer. Uh, Jared Stidham overall has been solid from what I've heard and shown some of that potential, but from the quarterback class, I mean, you know, you've heard a little bit on Stidham. Apparently, Hoyer hasn't really got a whole lot of reps. Uh, And then Brady. I mean, Brady's just kind of been, you know, a little shaky so far. And then the offensive line, really, it's good, but the big talk is left tackle. Left tackle is the most important position on the offensive line, and it is our biggest weakness, okay? Now, with Dante Scarnecchia, I'm not too scared, 
well, that takes a lot of my worries away about any offensive lineman problems, especially left tackle, because he's the offensive line whisperer. We call Bruce Arians the quarterback whisperer. Dante Skarnecki is the offensive line whisperer. Okay. Ever since that AFC law, uh, championship loss against Denver, he has stepped in and does a, done a fantastic job. Um, and look what he did with Trent Williams last year, for gosh sake. And right now, it's either Dan Skipper or Isaiah Wynn. Dan Skipper, please, no, I don't know. If Dan Skipper is our left tackle, please, no. That, that's not going to cut it. The skip is not cutting it today. It's just not going to happen. And then there's Isaiah Wynn. Wynn has potential. He has talent. I, I hate to say that word for an offensive lineman. Talent and offensive line are like putting pickle juice and bananas in a blender. But in a way, if you get what I'm saying. It's just a weird word to put with an offensive lineman. But Isaiah Wynn is a talented offensive lineman. I mean, the guy was picked in the first round of the draft. So he's got some talent, and he has the ability to play the guard position and tackle. Not center, but my problem with Isaiah Wynn here is, one, I still think he's banged up. They've still limited him in practice, okay? Two, the guy is coming off of a big, uh, th this is a very serious injury, and I'm not being sarcastic here. Because the last time I checked, the torn Achilles tendon in any sport is a very serious injury and very tough to come back from. So add that with the fact that this guy is only 6'2", 311 pounds. He just meets the weight requirement, and he's a few inches too short. I'm sorry, he's more of a guard in my opinion. He really is. Isaiah wins too small. He's coming off an injury. And add on with that inexperience. He has talent. Okay. And I know I've sounded like a bit of an Isaiah Wynn hater. Believe me, I think the guy's got some potential to be a solid offensive lineman, especially with Dante Scarnecchia. And I think he could work out a left tackle just because um, you have Dante Scarnecchia. But if it's up to me, who am I starting week one? I'm probably going to go with Dan Skipper just because I think Wynn is still banged up and I don't want to rush him back. And I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence in Skipper as a player, but I feel like look what happened with Trent Brown last season, okay? You traded five bags of Lay's potato chips and a half-dollar bill for Trent Williams. You traded 40 spots down in the draft, middle of the draft, to get this guy. He was no one. Trent Brown was a no one in San Francisco, right off the bottom of their depth chart, and you turned him into the highest-paid offensive lineman in the NFL. Does that make him the best left tackle or offensive lineman in the NFL? No. It's the way the market works. Look at Michael Thomas. Is Michael Thomas the best wide receiver in the NFL? No. But it's just the way the market works. The market's going to keep going up and up. Like, last season, Nate Solder. Like, it's the same thing. It's just the market. But I think Trent Brown's honestly going to fail in Oakland. I think that signing's going to fall flat on their face. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of like Nate Solder. Nate Solder did kind of heat up at the end of the year, but it's weird to say with an offensive lineman. But still. I just think Dan Skipper is a guy you could bring in here and at least make him a reliable left tackle. It, I, I just think that with Dante Scarnecchia, he's going to find a way to make it work, and Trent Brown really proved that to you. And Nate Solder's a good example, too, because Solder a little different than Trent Brown. I think Solder is a little more given talent than Trent Brown, but Nate Solder 
went to the Giants and really didn't have a great year. He was all right down the stretch, the home stretch, but really was not that good. Trent Brown may be Exhibit B. I mean, this he might eat his way out of the league for all I know. But not only maybe he eat his way out of the league right behind Eddie Lacy, but I just don't think the talent's there with Trent Brown. I just think it was Dante Scarnecchi out at work. The guy's the offensive line whisperer. Again, he's just the offensive line whisperer. I'll go with Dan Skipper because I don't want to rush Isaiah Wynn in there. When Wynn is ready, I'll give him a shot at left tackle. When he looks good in practice, it, he seems like, all right, he's pretty healed from this injury. I'll put him at left tackle. Especially if Dan, if Dan Skipper's doing all right then. Isaiah Wynn can be a rotational piece for the second year. If Dan Skipper does well at left tackle this season, then Isaiah Wynn can rotate in and out with Dan Skipper or whether that's Joe Tooney even or even Shaq Mason. I think he can play from uh, some right guard as well. Whoever it is, I think he could just be a nice rotational piece off the bench that comes in for a few snaps here and there every game. And if Skipper has a bad game, Win can come in. Or if Skipper's that experiment's starting to fail, throw a win in there. Go ahead. But one, I don't want to rush him. I think you've got something there with Isaiah Wynn. I know it seems like you can take any guy off the streets, but still. I still think you spent a first-round pick on that guy. I'm, I'm not going to blow that. Then there's the receiving core. Um, he see again, I heard he seems to be uh, in sync with Braxton Berrios, who uh, reportedly had one of his best days of camp today. And Philip Dorsett. I feel like he's always had some sort of chemistry with Philip Dorsett. It's just he's kind of underused, always has a few good weeks. That's about it. He's always had a chemistry with Philip Dorsett. Uh, they also have had some uh, two tight end sets with Benjamin Watson and Matt Lacoste. Uh, Lacoste, Lacoste. I don't know how to say his name. He's a no one off the street. Uh, that's how all of our tight ends are this season. But they had some two tight end sets, despite not having Rob Gronkowski this year. Mostly when Sony Michelle was the running back. Okay, so that's that's the news around town. There are still some two tight end sets, but Watson's going to be up for the first four weeks. So when he's out, who's playing tight end? Ryan Izzo. Are we running two tight end sets with Matt Lacoste and Ryan Izzo? I hope not. I I, I just. I'm sorry, I hate the tight end court this year. I really do. At best, Benjamin Watson will be a somewhat reliable tight end that can get you a catch or two a game. Like, I just don't see anything in this tight end core, if that's what you want to say. Then I heard some things about this guy, Jacoby Myers, who apparently, undrafted rookie, didn't really know much about him, but apparently he did, he's 22 years old, six foot two, 200 pounds, uh, according to SB Nation. And I heard him and Tom Brady were in sync a little bit, and he balled out at camp today, and Tom Brady was impressed. The guy's six foot two, 200 pounds. Now, my problem with that is, well, I sit here and I don't know much about him, not going to lie. But my problem with him is, well, he's undrafted, and the guy's only 200 pounds. So let me, you know, look up a picture of him real quick. But when I, you know, six foot two, I think is big enough to kind of fill in a desperate role of like that bigger outside receiver. But the weight, you're only 200 pounds. Now, maybe that's just SB Nation being, um, you know, bland with it. 201 pounds, according to Google. Uh, but 200, 201, I'd say, you know, right around that you know ballpark. 
Uh, but I've, I I don't know much about him. I have seen a lot of highlights about him in camp. I just really haven't looked into him that much. To be honest, I've seen a lot of highlights of him making good plays. Um, and apparently he's doing he's doing really well, which is great to hear. He, he looks like he's got solid size. I wouldn't say anything special to the point where he could be some big, you know, like red zone target or outside the numbers receiver. But I think he could do some good in different spots. And so far from what I've heard, what I've seen, he's done well. Then the last guy I want to get to, Nikhil Harry. Nikhil on the offense. I am not really going to touch up much on the running backs. I haven't heard much news on the backs. I've heard they're doing all right. Uh, but there isn't really a whole not, a lot of juicy news to get to uh, on the running backs. But Nikhil Harry has really been just up and down. He's been a roller coaster. I've heard Nikhil Harry, you know, has had today he really he kind of balled out today camp before getting hurt. But Nikhil Harry has shown potential to be your next kind of, you know, bigger receiver, uh, big name receiver, I guess you could say. He he'd be your next thing in that receiving core. Uh, if he keep if he's on keeps on this track, uh, potential wise, excuse me. But I've heard kind of good and bad things. I heard he lined up incorrectly on the same play twice in a row and cost the team a lap uh, like a week ago, two weeks ago in camp, beginning of camp. He lined up wrong. He lined up incorrectly on a play. Team called a timeout and he went back out there and lined up incorrectly on a play. I've heard he's also getting used to the um, physicality of the NFL because, you know, at Arizona State, he can kind of bully everyone around. But now that he's in the big leagues, it's kind of different. Like, yeah, you've got solid size, but, you know, nothing, you know, nothing, like, new. It's not not like Rob Gronkowski. Like, this isn't anything all, you know, special, I guess you could say. Anything unique? No. We've seen defensives have seen worse. So they can handle a guy like Nikhil Harry, most of these NFL defenders. So he's getting used to that physicality as well and not being able to just bully his way around the football field. Again, lining up on plays. But overall, you know, I think the guy has potential. I wasn't a huge Nikhil Harry fan until I really read more into him. Like when I kind of looked at the surface, I was just like, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. But once I really you know, kind of got around draft time and really dug into the prospects. I was like, all right, this guy's not that that bad. I don't think Nikhil Harry's a surefire next big thing. I don't. I don't even think he's a surefire, no doubt, starter for the New England Patriots for the next three-plus years. I don't. But I do think he's got potential to at least be a very solid wide receiver, and I do like the pick. Am I saying it'll work out? No. No guarantees. Especially, I, I just don't, you know, I, I obviously, with me, sorry for all the stuttering today, but with me, I was, you know, not, you know, even when Saquon Barkley was picked, I have very high hopes for this kid, you know, a year ago, but I was just like, there's a .001 chance he doesn't work out. But that's not the thing with Harry. There's actually a chance he might bust. Especially a guy like that size. Injuries. You know, what's going to happen with injuries? So from what I've heard, though, defensively, uh, the team's been pretty good. They've been ahead of the offense most of the year. I I have heard the offense is starting to pick up steam, starting to get back into things. Uh, But the defense usually is always ahead of the offense. And this year, it's the same thing Um, from what I've heard. It's the same thing. Defense always seems to be ahead of the offense. But the offense is starting to, you know, Get back, you know, back on steam a little bit, back on track. I mean, catch catch steam, if you know what I mean, catch fire. 
not exactly catch fire, but they're starting to, you know, catch up with the defense. But, I mean, I think we kind of expect this every year. The defense did not make many changes. They add Jamie Collins, lose Trey Flowers, add Chase Winovich. They didn't really make many, uh, many changes. The offense made multiple changes. First of all, no Rob Gronkowski for the first time in almost a decade, for goodness sake. I know he's been injured, but I mean, over a decade without Rob Gronkowski. uh, I mean, you've had Rob Gronkowski for a decade. Jeez, I just can't think straight right now. And I think you just always make a lot of changes offensively more than you do defensively. So the scheme's always changing. Tom Brady's, you know, all of a sudden, usually working with more rookies, and all of a sudden the scheme's changing, and it takes them a bit. And the defense is usually on their toes. The defense usually comes out of camp ready with Bill Belichick. They usually don't make as many changes, and they usually seem to click a little easier than the offense does at first. It's that simple. I'm not stressing about the offense. They are. They do seem to be getting better, but I do have more questions about the offense than the defense. So that is touching up on Patriots training camp again. Another apology. I'm sorry for the stuttering today. It seems like every once in a while I just can't find my words. Today seems to be that day. But anyway, now we are going to touch up on some Team USA basketball, so let's get to that. Okay, so I'm not here to really discuss the FIBA World Cup basketball or anything. All I know about it is it's super lopsided, okay? It's the most lopsided thing in sports you'll ever find. It is so stupid. Honestly, and I'm going to explain in a minute. I'm mostly here. Why are so many players withdrawing? And I'm going to explain to you guys. And I'm going to explain why it's just so stupid in the first place and how this year's roster is so pathetic for, you know, a Team USA roster, yet it's still going to find a way to win. Um... This is just a name, you know, some of the names of the guys that have withdrawn. Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Eric Gordon, CJ McCollum, Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, and Paul Millsap are among the all-star caliber players who have decided not to play. Now, why Eric Gordon is part of that? No, here's my problem. Not only do you have Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Anthony Davis, you know, CJ McCollum, even just Dame. Bradley Beal, Anthony Davis, James Harden. Keep it at that. Those guys are withdrawing. And CJ McCollum, I'll throw on that list. But you ought to get to the point where Andre Drummond's withdrawing too. Kevin Love. That's that's not so great, all right? Like, Andre Drummond probably shouldn't be on the Team USA. Neither should Kevin Love if you're stacking up your best players. You can probably CJ McCollum, but you're not going to have the best of the best. But then you add Paul Millsap and Eric Gordon are withdrawing too. Paul Millsap and Eric Gordon should not have a sniff at Team USA. But it's just getting so pathetic at this point. Okay? But this isn't the first time that players have withdrawn from, you know, um, the FIBA World Cup. But just this year, it's been a little more than usual. This is this year's roster. I just want to name this. Bam out of bio. Harrison Barnes, Jalen Brown, Kyle Kuzma, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lo- Kyle Lowry, Chris Middleton, Donovan Mitchell, oh god, Mason Plumley, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum. 
P.J. Tucker. P.J. Miles Turner. Kemba Walker. Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus. Here's the level of absurd. Here are the players on Team USA that are. That's absolutely absurd. Some of these players being on Team USA. Like Mason Plumley. Thaddeus Young. PJ Tucker. Marcus Smart even has a Celtics fan. Like, here's the thing this roster is young, okay? It's full of youth. And that's what Team USA is mostly about. Team USA is really in love with young talent. They'll take older players if they can, but usually they like to keep the, you know, uh, you know, age of players 25 or under, average age. They like to get mostly younger players, let the young talent play for a few years, you know, and then it'll move on to the next uh, batch of young players. And you always have a few veterans like Kyle Lowry's on the team. Brooke Lopez, 31. I don't really want to talk about. Chris Middleton, I'd say, is considered a vet. P.J. Tucker, Mason, uh, Mason Plumlee doesn't even count. Okay, P.J. Tucker shouldn't, but he's 34, and he's better than Mason Plumlee, in my opinion. Mason Plumlee, please. Mark, no, Marcus Smart isn't. That, I don't know, I, I don't even know if we should count some of these guys. I will say on the, the staff, though, like Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, Lloyd Pierce, and Jay Wright. That's not a bad, it's really just Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. That's not a bad coaching system. But I just look at that roster and just say... You know, I know you're going for young talent, but that roster is horrible. Now, how do I feel about Celtics players being on it? Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker. We've got a ton of uh, Celtics players. We have four. Four of the biggest names on the team. How do I feel about it? Four. I hate it. Hate it so much. Because, one, I'm not interested in Team USA basketball. It's stupid. It's stupid. Because guess what? That team is still the best team in the FIBA World Cup. That is the best team. The team's starting five. This team's five best players. Their best player is Kemba Walker. Is Kemba a bad player? I'm a Celtics fan, okay? Is Kemba Walker a bad player? No. In my opinion, he's at least top 20, okay? And when I just look at the rest of the roster, though, like, they have one top 25 player, in my opinion. That's Kemba Walker's top 20. This is Team USA. This team is the best team by far still in the tournament, and Kemba Walker is their best player. Second best player, take your pick between Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, and Kyle Lowry. (sighs) And it's still a lopsided affair. That bothers me. When Mason Plumlee is on the Team USA roster, and it's still a lopsided affair. Now imagine, like, the Dream Team and the Redeem Team. Oh, my God. I I can only imagine. Like, I don't know much about Team USA basketball. All I know is this team's bad for Team USA. But it's still good because the competition's just so bad. A team of Mason Plumleys would still have a shot. A team of Mason Plumley, P.J. Tucker, Thaddeus Young, that that type of team. If Bam at a bio, not a bad young player, but should have no business being on this team, even for a young talent. Harrison Barnes, please. I get the whole. I don't know why Barnes is just that player that's kind of just a 
I feel like always he get, finds his way on his Team USA team for some reason. I don't know what the obsession is with Harrison Barnes. Okay? But there is something there, and it really bothers me. But I hate the fact that Celtics players are playing on it. CJ McCollum explained it, too. The thing with Team USA, why are so many players withdrawing? It's because they don't, you know, these summer days are is time for them to train and work on their game without having to worry about real NBA games. But it's mostly time for them to rest up, refuel the gas tank, and get as much mileage in the gas tank for the season. For you to be playing games and having all these practices, yeah, you want to represent your country, and it sounds like a fun, fun thing. But you're going to be burnt out especially come, you know, March, April. C.J. McCollum made some great points. These guys, you know, they want to, you know, work out on the summer, but mostly spend a little time with their family, kind of take a rest, and fill up the gas tank for a long, long season to come. And I just kind of sit here and say, now all of a sudden, is it, you know, is this kind of go a little bit of a shot at the NBA? And I don't think it's an intentional shot by C.J. McCollum or anything, anyone. But I kind of look at it for the NBA and say, this is just another reason to shorten the games. More and more players are withdrawing because they're finding the season more and more exhausting. And maybe the NBA doesn't really care. I wouldn't really blame them for it. But, I mean, that's just like a thing. Like, the players are even opening up. It's just so exhausting. At least take off, like, 10, trim 10 games off that schedule, 12. Is that a lot to ask? I mean, I just feel the players. I just, I do really feel bad. But seriously, this, I'm not going to sit here and talk too much about Team USA and act like I know anything about it. But this seems kind of a joke. I hate to say it. But they're still going to win because the competition's horrible. It's just so stupid. Like, I'll watch some highlights here and there just because, you know, they probably dominate. I, know, I don't really know much about the whole FIBA World Cup besides the fact that it's super lopsided and this team is still the best in the group. And that's very sad. So that's my little take on Team USA. Uh, maybe they aren't the favorites. From what I've heard, they are still, and that 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 really irritates me. I don't know why. But anyway, now we're gonna touch up on the Boston Red Sox. So let's get to that. Okay, the Red Sox. My favorite team in Boston right now. I just love the Red Sox. No, I hate them. Obviously. What do you think? What do you think? I'm happy with the Red Sox right now. Just lost 6-2 to two today. Okay, we stay inconsistent. We go out. We're on a nice little winning streak. We lost on Sunday Night Baseball a week ago. Not the latest one against the Yankees. The one before that. And that was a big loss. But overall, it was a good week. Then they went in against the Rays. And guess what they did? Just take a guess. Take a guess what they did against the Rays. Got swept. Then, okay, then things got real interesting. We went into New York to face the Yankees. Guess what happened? We got swept. Okay, then we went against the Royals. Oh, God, the Royals, they're a real tough team. We won a game. Yes, yes. Seven-game losing streak snapped. It's all over. We're, we're back in the playoff hunt, right? We beat the Royals, right? That's a big accomplishment. After getting swept by the Yankees and Rays, you know what? That's a good comeback. Let's beat the Rays 7-5. And then we'll lose to them 6-2. to two. Oh, my God. I, I'm sorry, you know. 
to you Red Sox fans. And I'm a Red Sox fan, so I feel sorry for myself that we have to suffer through this. Suffer through the fact that this team just won't get over last year. And it's getting to the point where they started blaming the umps. Now, Mr. Estabrooks, who was umping the doubleheader, the first game of the doubleheader, made some bad calls. Chris Sale had a pretty obvious strike, was called a ball. J.D. Martinez had one low in the zone. That should have been a walk. It was called a strike three. He didn't have a very good game. But there were some that, like, one of them, I forget who it was. At this point, there's just been so much Red Sox. I mean, this was a few days ago. I think it was on Ben Benintendi, who's he's had his fair share of complaining this year. One right on the outside corner of the plate. Is it a ball? Yes, but not by much. It's pretty 50-50 call. I'd give it, you know, I'd lean one, like... It was probably a ball, but it's really a 50-50 call. It calls it a strike. Oh, they start flipping out. Like, it's it's close. Was it a ball? Yes, by, by a hair. It's nothing that the human eye can see. Like, by naked eye, you know, it was probably a close pitch. But a close pitch with two strikes, you got to be swinging. And they just decide to complain to the umps instead of actually, um, I don't want to be, uh, say, playing, because they did play. But playing well. And it's getting to the point where you can't complain about the umps. If you're in the position that maybe the Yankees are right now, or maybe where the Twins are right now, or the Astros are right now, or at least, you know, you're in a position where you're maybe at 68 wins, or 68 wins, 70, 71 wins, somewhere maybe 68 to 71 wins, maybe right behind the Yankees, and they make a few bad calls, you have an excuse. But right now, you you lose seven games in a row in arguably the biggest stretch of the year, and you just decide to start blaming the umps? No, that's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. That That's inexcusable. Because the team just can't make excuses like that. They have to hold themselves accountable. I'm sick of the whining from this team. I really am. At first, it was the, oh, well, we won last year. All right, I was okay with that method. The first, you know, you want to take the first month easily? All right, so be it. That's fine. You know, you guys won last year. You're going to be, you know, a bit of a hangover. You're probably saying, you know, what? we rolled through the league last year. You know what? We're going to, you know, maybe a battle with the Yankees, but... You know, we can take it easy and save our energy and really put the pedal to the metal towards the end of the season. Well, they've kept that lazy method throughout the whole year. And right now, we are sitting at 60-56. and 56. Six games back of the Rays, 15 back of the Yankees. And we still don't have the pedal on the metal. I don't know if this team's just given up or what. But I don't blame Dave Dombrowski for making an investment at this point. And I said even just a small investment, and I still may stand by that word, but at this point, I don't even blame him for not wanting to give up anything for this team. They don't even deserve anything. Again, they're the spoiled kids. They're the spoiled brats that, you know, they're just acting spoiled, and they're just acting like brats. Okay, not even spoiled brats. They're just acting like brats, all right? All day, they've been acting like a brat. And then they pass the ice cream shop and ask their mom, a.k.a. Dave Dombrowski, for ice cream. And he says, no, you haven't deserved it. That's this Red Sox team. They don't deserve it. Not even ice cream. They don't even deserve it. Okay. 
Whether you want to call that a bad analogy or not, whatever. They're 16-56. Dropped seven in a row and they're complaining about the umps. I, there were some bad calls, but some of those were just you guys being wine bags and trying to cover up for this horrible seven-game skid. Okay? I don't want to hear it. Okay? We all know what's going on. We all know this team's just trying to be whiny and cry their way out of this poor situation that they've dug themselves into. Now, the reason the Red Sox are still a story is because they're it's still in the hunt and the talent is there. The talent is there to arguably beat any team in the league. Now, am I saying they're the best team in the league talent-wise? No. Because I think the bullpen still does hurt. Talent-wise, you have some of the best bats in the league. Your starting rotation, talent Keyword talent-wise is one of the better rotations in the league. I did expect them to underachieve a little this year. I did call that. But talent-wise, they're one of the better rotations in the league. This season, they've been horrible. And the bullpen, talent-wise, isn't great. But if you put them all in their respected roles that they should be playing, they're not horrible. Get them a closer. Talent-wise, you're one of the best teams in the league. Are you the best? I wouldn't say that. But you can put up a fight with any team. It's just not there right now. It it just is not there. I think between just so many players, you you got the starting rotations underachieving. The closer is in the mystery, the unknown of the role of those uh, relievers is just throwing them off. And then some of those batters are just not playing up to their standards as well, mostly because they just, like Mookie Bats, is he even trying at this point? Like, I don't even know if he cares, if he's trying. And I seriously consider moving him at the end of the season, especially if he doesn't feel like he wants to be here and your team either misses the playoffs or makes the wild card game and loses. Which I'd even, you know, making the wild card game at this point seems like a long shot. It feels like it. I mean, we're not that far out of the wild card race, okay? Looking at the wild card race, we're not that far out of it. We're six games behind the, uh, well, the athletics, excuse me. We're six games behind the Athletics in the Rays, who I believe have the same. Nope, the Athletics have slightly worse uh, winning percentage, so excuse me on that one. Right now, we are six games out of the wildcard race. That's not that good. That's not good at all. Especially, you know, we're in the home stretch here. The last 50 games or so of the season. And we just lost to the Royals today. The Kansas City Royals. Then we got the Angels. I mean, this should be a cakewalk right now. This has to be the last loss between the Royals series. Like, you have to, if you lose this Royals series, you might as well, uh, you might as well call it a season. I'm, I'm about to ready to say that. You'll see tomorrow whenever I do the next podcast. But if they lose tomorrow, I think there's a good chance. Season's pretty much over. Again, I always leave the door crack open. But I mean, it feels like the season's over at this point. The talent's there, but it might just be too late. It may just be too late. Then they got the Angels. Then you've got the Indians. Then you got the Orioles. So it's a pretty fairly easy schedule. Like the Royals are super easy. The Angels, I wouldn't call super easy, but they're not that hard, really. They've got some talent, but they're nothing special. You're better than them, talent-wise. And even this season, you've still been better than them, whether, you know, I like to say it or not. The Indians, I'd say... It's a good matchup. They've been better than you this season. Talent-wise, you are a little better, but still, they've been better than you this season, so that should be a little bit of a challenge. And the Orioles should be a cakewalk, but then again, who knows with this team. And then you've got a little West Coast road trip there, and we'll go from there. 
But right now, I mean, I'm just focused on winning in this Royal Series. Tomorrow is just such a big game because if you lose tomorrow, you might as well put the bow on. Po I don't even want to say put the bow on a present because it's not a present right now. You might as well just call it. Call it a season. I mean, at this point, that's kind of where I'm coming to. If you lose to the Royals tomorrow, you might as well call it a season. What do you guys think? I mean, this has just been such a disappointment this season. I'm sorry. We'll touch base with the Red Sox next episode, see where they're at. But this it's, it's must-win baseball against the Royals at this point. The Red Sox are playing must-win baseball against the Royals in August. Really? So it's just a, it's been a disappointing season, really. It's a little too late right now for me to really be screaming. But I would be. Jeez. But anyway, now we're going to wrap up today's episodes from with the results from last episode's Friendly Wagers. So let's get to that. Friendly Wagers! <laughs> Colin's mediocre, but that's okay. Because Aiden's bad anyway. Friendly Wagers! Okay, so obviously no Colin today, so there won't be a new edition of Friendly Wagers, but we're going to touch up on the results from the last episode of Friendly Wagers. Last episode we had Colin joined us. Uh, it was a little too late for him to join today, so hopefully next episode. I want him to join more because I think you guys like it more when he joins. I can tell because whenever I say any special guest, even Colin, the listens go up, I can see. Uh, you guys like it more when I have that special guest, even if it's just a regular like Colin. He doesn't really talk a lot. I'll try to let him talk a little more next time. Uh, but you guys seem to like it when he joins, especially because you get this little edition of Friendly Wagers, which is a nice little interesting show to end things off. So I'll try to get him more because I know you guys like it more when I have someone alongside me talking. Plus Friendly Wagers. I like doing Friendly Wagers. And breaking news, Aiden finally wins. I won 3-0 now. Colin is 3-1-0. I won. First question was, who's winning tonight, the Red Sox or the Yankees? I said the Yankees. Colin said the Red Sox. Correct answer was the Yankees. Next question was, will Alexander Bogarts hit a home run tonight? We both said no. That was the correct answer. Bogarts had two home runs in back-to-back -back games heading into that game, so uh, that was a bit of a surprise, I guess you could say, but we both said no on that one, and we were both correct. Eduardo Rodriguez, over or under 7.5 strikeouts. I said over, Colin said under. He was over 7.5 strikeouts, so I got that one correct as well. The one incorrect one that we both had, uh, well, that I, the only one that I had, but we both got this one incorrect. Over or under 7.5 runs scored tonight. We both said over. They only scored 6 runs on the day. It was 2-4. to four. And then the last question was over or under two and a half walks for James Paxton tonight. I said over, Colin said under. So I know those questions were really like digging it, like two and a half walks for James Paxton. But I'm, I'm telling you, when the Red Sox are the only thing that's on, I mean, that's you got to dig deep for those questions. But you can actually generate a lot of questions on that. So I got, I got four bets correct, one incorrect. Colin got one correct, four incorrect. So it was a rough day for Colin who's on a three-game winning streak. We, this, we've done five friendly wagers technically, but we never, after we did, we did one of them, and then we just never, I never ended up sharing the results, so we just totally lost that one. But So technically, we've done four friendly wagers. I finally got my first win, first win in the books, 1-3-0. Colin is 3-1-0. I am 9-14 on overall bets, and Colin is 13-10. So that was that, uh, that day's 
friendly wagers. I do wish I could just do them like af- after every episode because they're so fun to do, or at least try to stay over 500 or something. But since I am competing with Colin, I'll just do it when he's here. But I figured I'd share the thing with you guys in case Colin doesn't actually end up joining us for over a month. Hopefully that's not the case, but just in case, I don't want to forget and then never end up getting to it. So, especially because I won. (laughs) So anyway, thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, a little too much stuttering for me today. I don't know what was going on. I think I'm just a little tired. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. I'm sorry for no episode these past three days. Trying to not let it happen again. But thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time.